the Oscar goes and to. And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to. Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Could have been a contender. Fasten yourself. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Oh, really? Love is is Love. too weak a word. Stay Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. It's time! Hello everybody, this here is episode 16 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. Another fully stacked week of awards news to get through here, and to help me do it today, I've got Will Mavity. Hey guys. Kristen Lopez. It's 6am and I'm tired. (laughs) And Michael Schwartz. How's it going, everyone? Uh, According to Kristen, not so good. (laughs) Yeah, Mike, you sound too happy for this. I uh, I think we should all punish you. (laughs) (laughs) it's it's going good it's just i'm i'm like recording this from my bed so i'm just kind of like i can just lay back here now and let you guys do all the talking and just take a power nap well hopefully that's not (laughs) the case because there's certainly a lot of topics to cover here we appreciate your input as always so I i will persevere before we get down to business though has anybody seen anything this week that they want to talk about really quick? Because I am just dying to talk about something. I saw Hidden Figures, finally. Uh, oh! Yeah. And I really, really enjoyed it. Like, super enjoyed it. It's such a fun movie. Uh, I've, I've kind of criticized movies for not praising intelligence. Um, you know, kind of like, oh, you don't need college. You're usually some soft-handed person who doesn't know anything. And this movie not only praises smarts, but it praises female smarts. And I love space. I love the 60s. And I really enjoyed it. It was super fun. Who really is, amongst the cast, the standout that you think will be nominated for the Oscar? Yeah, because Matt and I have had some back and forth about this. I would say that they would probably do nominate Octavia Spencer or Janelle Monet because those side performances would probably be easier to get in a rather slight, you know, category this year. It's always, they always say it's easier to get a supporting than it is a lead. But for me, I think the best performance is Taraji P. Henson because Mm -hmm. that's the character that, you know, Octavia Spencer and Janelle Monáe are great, but they kind of have the messagey parts of the movie, um, you know, about workplace discrimination and sexism um, and this kind of need to change the laws, respectively. Whereas Taraji P. Henson's character kind of goes through this whole litany of not just discrimination, but sexism, and also trying to be a a mother of... uh, you know, three children and having this relationship that's built on being an equal. And it's a really well-rounded, you know, performance from a character that we haven't seen. I I mean, I'm usually the first one to nitpick on a, a female performance and a female character. And I had no nitpicks. It was actually refreshing to see kind of this single mother character have it all 
and not have to have the scene where she's sitting down with her kids saying, you know, I have to work and I'm sorry that your life sucks because I'm a failure as a mother because I'm not able to do all this stuff for you. And that doesn't happen at all. So in a perfect world, I would love to see her get a leading actress nomination. But I think their methodology is that it would be easier to get a supporting performance from one of the other two. What about Kevin Costner? I've heard some really good things about him. He's good. He's good. He's the kind of woke white guy um, who doesn't really um, see racism or sexism and then kind of comes around. He has he has a nice relationship with the, the Taraji P. Henson character and um, all of that. But I, I found his character to be on par with, like, Kirsten Dunst, which is they're the white contingent that slowly changes throughout the movie. Um, and if he was to get nominated, I would think it would be more as kind of a, not to use a pun, because I know what Matt's talking about, collateral nomination for everybody else. Um, best picture nomination, yes or no? I'd like to say yes. I think it's a little too glossy, a little too um, feel good. It's not a big... And I think what makes it refreshing for me is it's not a big message movie. It's not loving, which not to denigrate loving because that's an amazing movie, but it's not what it's saying. It's saying so subtly, you know, it's saying that racism and sexism in the 60s happened, but it's also happening today and we just don't see it. So I think for Hollywood voters, it's a little too pleasant it, you know, it doesn't have that big speechifying moment where, you know, they, they have this grand thing that kind of sums it all up. So I, I think as much as I would love to, I think they're I think they might miss it. But in the way the field is going with consensus still kind of being wonky with so many movies out there, it's it's possibility. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you on that. Uh, anybody else? Uh, Nocturnal Animals, but you guys have already seen that and discussed it. I believe so. Please, please tell me you're on the right team, Will. Yeah, you weren't that high on it, I think, right? You know, I was in the uh, kind of B-ish territory team on it. I noticed you guys were crazy about it, and I was really hoping to be. I wasn't. I, I was about in that B range too. There's a lot of things I liked about it. I still don't think the overall piece came together as a whole. And I get that maybe Gyllenhaal, is, his character isn't supposed to be a great writer, so his story within a story is going to be kind of full of somewhat poorly written characters and cliches. At least I think that's what it's going for. But um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting screenplay, and I have found myself thinking about the film a lot, but I didn't come out of it just blown away like I think you two did. Um, that being said, I really enjoyed Shannon, although he was over the top a little bit. I enjoyed Johnson. I know uh, my friend and I got into a debate afterwards about whether or not um, Gyllenhaal and Adams were good. I thought Gyllenhaal was pretty good, if a bit over the top. Didn't quite think Adams came across as convincingly in the role. But, yeah, it's, 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 it's good. I was hoping for more. Yeah. Um, it's one of those films that Upon walking out of the theater, I thought it was just okay, and I was amazed that I couldn't shake the film off after I had seen it, uh, even a couple days later, um, and I found myself just constantly thinking about it in different ways, and it like some of the images just didn't leave my mind. I mean, visually, uh, I mean, it I mean is, clearly. Oh my god, the visuals are haunting. Yeah. 
Um, and uh, so I think that it's something that mm, I, I could say this right now. It's going to crack my top 20, probably. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if it's going to crack my top 10 yet. So we'll see. In any event, though, um, I saw two movies this week. Let me start off with the first one. Um, I finally saw Fences. And there are a couple of things I want to just mention in regards to this. Number one, if I had my way, I would not nominate this for Best Picture. Um, that's number one. Will it be nominated for Best Picture? Yes. Uh, will Denzel Washington be nominated for Best Director? My answer is no. Um, best Adapted Screenplay, it will be nominated. It will not win. Yeah, I didn't think it would since it doesn't it stay very close to the play itself. It's literally from what I understand and research I've done, it is almost verbatim. So it's like a thing of with doubt or August Osage County. Yeah, or even like something like Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet, you know, which he uh, yeah. just pulled directly from the original writing, you know. So uh, I don't think it's going to win. There are times where you're watching it and you feel like Denzel Washington is talking for an hour straight. Like there's so much monologuing going on. And his character is so larger than life. It's like he's such a powerhouse in this that it's almost like overwhelming at times. And in comparing him to Affleck, because somebody asked me, all right, now that you've seen both performances, who do you think wins? It's very tough to say because Washington has the more showboaty role that affords him the opportunity to do so many different things where Affleck is more of in my opinion the more difficult performance because of how much he has to um, convey emotion without actually trying to do so like he's trying to constrict his emotions and internalize his pain but yet he needs to somehow make that shine through his performance especially in the first half of the film where it's kind of obscured and you don't know why he's being the way that he is with people etc etc so I think Affleck has the more difficult role but I think Washington is the kind of role that people are gonna just be like oh my god he was amazing and uh, but it obviously so because it's more in my opinion it's more obvious acting yeah and that's I mean we've discussed it like even before you saw the film we knew that's why it was gonna win you know I think Keaton's role in Birdman might have been more difficult to pull off than Eddie Redmayne in Theory of Everything, as good as Eddie Redmayne was, because that's a show. Everything is on the surface. You see everything is feeling. It's probably the same here. I'm not so sure that Denzel's going to win anymore. I, I'm i not so sure. I'm now 50-50, honestly. But I will also say this. Viola Davis is winning, hands down. I mean, I, we kind of knew that. But when you see the film, it's like, wow, it's pretty damn clear that it's going to happen. I mean, And it's okay that she's going supporting? Uh, yes, it is very okay that she's going supporting. This is totally Denzel's movie. The whole plot is about him. And like I said, he dominates the picture. Viola Davis, um, tr- it, it truly is a supporting performance. And I'm very okay with that. How are the supporting men, like Williamson and Adepo? They're all fine. They are exactly where they need to be. A part of that SAG Ensemble nomination, and they don't need to get an Oscar nomination because, in my opinion, they're serviceable and quite good, but nothing that makes them stand out. And it and with Viola and Denzel firing on all cylinders in this, how could they possibly stand out? 
Well, I can't wait to see it. I love films based on theater, and it feels like you're having that experience of sitting in a Broadway theater, so yeah, right up my alley. I didn't realize how long it was when I went in to watch it. I actually never checked the running time prior beforehand, and I was like, holy crap, this is two and a half hours long. Is it? Oh, damn. Yeah. Yeah, you get the full play. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to have to probably watch it again, I'm sure. There, there's some pretty good moments in this that are pretty awesome but oh great i'll be seeing it on christmas excellent and now to move on to this other movie which i saw this week (sighs) so i saw collateral beauty with will smith and god knows why so many other people because i just can't understand what compelled these actors i'm like i'm like i'm like freaking out right now excuse me i know some of them really were drawn to the script like edward norton kept praising it the last couple of months it makes no sense that you would say that (laughs) it makes no sense that he would say that i I, so i've heard yeah i don't understand um and i don't want to reveal anything because i will just say this the marketing of the film is so misleading so misleading i've heard it's gaslighting the movie oh yes yes Yes, yeah. yes, 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 yes. <laughs> it, it is so mean-spirited and so morbid and so incredibly um, just misleading. I mean, th- this whole film was based around like the Christmas holiday season and does not exemplify any of the attributes that one is supposed to feel during the holidays. And it just, it's almost offensive. I mean, d- Will Smith has got... God bless his soul. He's like really trying and you can see that he's trying, but the writing just fails him and it fails him so terribly for everybody else in this. I I was so angry when I walked out of the theater. I was so livid. And when I came home and I told my roommate and uh, and some of his friends about the movie, they were just entertained watching me react. I was like pacing. I was turning red. I was yelling. I was so angry no film this year has made me as angry as this one i think and i think i may have a contender for worst film of the year so far for myself it's funny because i i've heard a lot of people compare this and call this 2016's a winter's tale and i had to say well that does a real disservice to a winter's tale because (laughs) a winter's tale is fun in all the wrong ways because it is such an earnest movie that really believes in like what it's saying and is just utterly insane in how what it's saying whereas when people describe this movie i hear that it's a movie that's supposed to make you feel really bad for characters that are effectively trying to like lock a guy up (laughs) for lack of a better word Oh yes, they're 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 such despicable people, and they're so terrible, and they're so they only care about their own self interest. And what they do in the film is they try to give each one of the characters um, some sort of a obstacle for themselves personally. Like like Edward Norton's got like a daughter uh, that he you know is with his divorced wife, and uh, the daughter like hates him for the divorce, and he's trying to like reconnect with her, and that's supposed to give us like sympathy towards the character. It doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Like, he's an asshole. He's exemplified that he's an asshole. He's an asshole because of what he tries to do to Will Smith in the movie. And so I just don't understand why we're supposed to like any of these people. It just 
boggles my mind. Is it is it as bad as is somebody told me that essentially the Kate Winslet character is the stereotypical I'm a career woman who's put career first and now I'm sad that I don't have children and a husband. Is that yep. as bad as it sounds? Oh, thank God we have that trope coming back in 2016. Yep. Oh, this movie sounds delightful. As best I can tell, the only reason it got that cast, and bear in mind, it almost had Hugh Jackman and Rooney Mara as well, so thank God they dropped out. And I think Jonah Hill was there at one point. So thank God Jonah Hill dropped out as well. And thank God Alfonso Gomez Rejon dropped out because he would have pissed away all the goodwill he had from Sundance in 2015. Um... I know you hate that movie, by the way, uh, his movie, Mike. But as yeah. best I can tell, the only reason it got that cast is because Michael Sugar, um, I believe, I know, is a manager, and I can only assume a lot of the actors were his clients. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I can't see how so many A-list actors would want to sign on to this screenplay unless if it was for a favor or for money. Or there's pictures of them doing something really disgusting. Yeah, I don't think all those actors have <laughs> smut on them. I think probably Sugar was, uh, you know, he produced Spotlight, but he's also manager. And I'm guessing that people owed him favors or did it because he's a friend or because they're his clients. Um, so this is the new movie 43. Uh, no, that was like <laughs> really like intentionally garbage. This film is... No, I mean, in terms of getting a cast. Oh, I see. I got you, yeah. Assemble for something like this. Yeah. And Kate Winslet is in both. Oh, man, that's right. Oh, man. You know what's amazing is that like, I felt like she was an actress that no matter which project she chose, she could do no wrong. And now I have to actually take the good with the bad now. Ugh. Yeah, not a great year for her. She had this and Triple Nine, which I hear wasn't great. Uh. Triple Nine's not terrible. It's just really perfunctory. Yeah, I agree with Kristen on that. All right. Oh, well. Unless if there's any other films to discuss here, let's move over to SAG nominations. Hey, guys, this is JD from the Incession Film Podcast. Every week on our show, you can join my co-host, Brendan, and I as we review the latest films that's out in theaters. It also inspires us to discuss a top three list of some sort, and we have a lot of other fun movie discussions as well. It's always a blast. And we also have a show on Fridays called our Extra Film Podcast. This is a show that gives us the space to talk about the latest indies and art films and other classics that we normally just don't get to talk about on our main show. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, Player FM, and more. In fact, you can just see everything about us, including our social medias at IncessionFilm.com. So join us every week. We'd absolutely love to have you. This is interesting. So they were a doozy. Yeah, well, like they 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 always are now. Every year, it seems like last year was so fun. They were such a clusterfuck. I, I loved it. Yeah, and I feel like this year, it's amazing how certain films are always in talks, consideration, et cetera, et cetera. Like somebody makes Critics' Choice, SAG, Golden Globes, and then maybe misses the Oscar nomination. Last year, wasn't it Michael Shannon for 99 Homes? Yes. Yeah. So I'm starting to ask myself, like, who is that this year? But let, let, let's get into it really quickly. Let's take a look at some of these nominations here. Best Supporting Actress, Viola Davis for Fences, Naomi Harris for Moonlight, Nicole Kidman for Lion, Octavia Spencer for Hidden Figures, and Michelle Williams for Manchester by the Sea. 
So you're asking who could be that Michael Shannon, that Daniel Bruhl type nomination that gets in everywhere and ultimately misses out? I think we easily see it in this category. Um, I I think it could be Nicole Kidman. Oh. Because the film's fairly popular, but she seems like one of those nominations who keeps getting in places, but there's not much passion behind the performance. And yes, you know, she's a veteran. They She's well-liked in the industry, but there have been veteran, well-liked actors make this trend and ultimately miss out before. Cough, Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks. So... I think we could see her, and of course, if we're seeing someone else miss, it could be Octavia Spencer, since there seems to be division between which Hidden Figures cast member uh, gets in, or if either get in. So I think uh, both Spencer and Kidman could ultimately miss here. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if Michelle Williams ended up missing at the end of the day. Yeah. Not because it's not a great performance. But because it's so small, and I know it is the backbone of the second half of the movie, that she did not get in with Indie Spirits. Well, my response to that is that if you have that logic with her in this, you got to have that logic with Mahershala Ali then. Yeah, but he has been sweeping the critics. So is she. She's doing, she's pretty close to Viola. She's won more awards than Viola has. Oh, that's right. She overtook her uh, yesterday with uh, Las Vegas, actually. I th- oh no, not Las Vegas. Um, uh, uh, what was it? Chicago. I think it was Chicago. Yeah. Okay, that's a good point. She she has come close to a critical sweep. Davis has only won. Davis has won some, but I mean, it was a point of frustration. I know uh, Sasha Stone was going on about it last week that Davis had won almost nothing up until this week. So mm-hmm. it is. Ultimately, at the Oscars, it will not be a close race. Davis will take it in a cakewalk. But for the critic awards, it is a close race. This isn't an Albert Brooks either. She got sad. You know, it's not just critic support. I think she's in. So my question is this. And by the way, Will, uh, in regards to Nicole Kidman and Lion, um, as somebody that's seen the film, I disagree. She has like this one monologue where it's an extreme close-up on her face. It's very emotionally affecting and... I think that pretty much seals the deal for her with the film. Like, she has the quote-unquote the scene, the Oscar clip scene, if it were. So I, I, I always maintain all the time that if you can have one standout scene in the film, that traditionally helps, like, leaps and bounds for an actor traditionally. Um, like, a lot of people thought with Michael Shannon uh, in 99 Homes that it was the arc speech that he gives to... Andrew Garfield, but that was just Michael Shannon just saying some words and saying them really, really well. And in many people's eyes, that wasn't like a show-stopping, performance-esque scene. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I, I, I get that. If you can have a big crying scene, for example, which it sounds like you're saying she does, and you're right, once I see does. Line, it'll be easier for me to say. I mean, big sobbing scenes are hard to resist. I just... Having not seen the film, all I can go off is reactions, and I, I've barely heard anyone mention Kidman throughout the season. Well, she is making a lot of the Critics' Choice Awards nominations. Uh, she's making, obviously, a Critics' Choice, Golden Globe, now SAG. My gut tells me that she's in. If anyone's vulnerable, it is Spencer, because she was not mentioned in a single Critics' nomination list, I think, leading up to the Golden Globe and the SAG nomination. 
So this kind of, for me, has just come out of nowhere. And I think it has more to do with industry respect for her. And I'm not so sure if, and maybe Chris, maybe you can enlighten us in this. I'm not so sure if she is necessarily worthy. Uh, and it's more of like the likability factor in terms I of could, performance. I could see that. I could see a lot of the residual goodwill from like the help. Because her performance, I think, is very similar to the help. In that she's not nearly as sassy i think she is in in the help um which a lot of people i know have have issues with with that movie um and rightfully so but she's still in um her character has this managerial element to her that i think is similar to the help and for me watching the movie i would say that her performance is the third of of the the three um i mean she's got some nice moments especially with kirsten dunst but if we're going supporting performance, Janelle Monet I think, has a more compelling subplot. For me, if Hidden Figures gets in anywhere, it wouldn't be surprising if it was either Henson and or nothing. Because I think that that would be the one that they would recognize more. Or notice. Well, as somebody that is predicting Hidden Figures to possibly only contend in a song nomination, uh, and I'm just... Hear me out here for a minute. If that were to happen... You know, if the film doesn't hit big with the Academy and say Janelle Monet and Octavia Spencer both miss, who takes that fifth spot in your opinion? In just general or in the movie? I'm so no, confused. In, in general, in that in that category oh, of the Oscar five, I'm who takes to, that fifth spot? I'm trying to think of another supporting performance. So the actors categories for me this year in supporting and lead. I know there's been so many movies with strong female performances, but they mostly seem lead. Uh, maybe uh, isn't Greta Gerwig in the conversation for um, what is 20th it? 20th Century Woman. Yeah, I mean possibly, but again, I think that's a long shot because her name just hasn't been. I think I think for a lot of people, it's going to be relying on what's what's already been said because I think just m- like me, thinking of somebody else at this point is is difficult. Well, you also haven't seen the movie yet, right? That's true. Yeah, I haven't. Yeah, I can tell you that once you see the movie, uh, 20th Century Women is one of the best ensembles of the year, in my opinion, and I'm pretty upset that it didn't get an ensemble nomination, which we'll get to in a bit. But I think Greta Gerwig is the six right now and could surprise on Oscar nomination morning, even if Annette Bening loses. Um, And I say that mostly because I feel like Greta Gerwig's career trajectory is leading up to her first nomination at some point. So let's move on. To supporting actor, Mahershala Ali for Moonlight, Jeff Bridges for Hella High Water, Hugh Grant for Florence Foster Jenkins, Lucas Hedges for Manchester by the Sea, and Dev Patel for The Lion. Do you think that this is our Oscar five? I don't. I don't either. I think as great as he is, Lucas Hedges may not fare as well with the Oscar voters because there's always that thing, like we've said in the past, that they don't necessarily respond to performances by younger male actors. Look at Jacob Tremblay in Room and other examples from the past. Freddie Highmore in uh, Finding Neverland got in here. Noah Taylor got in here for Shine. SAG likes young actors. I mean, I, I agree I think there is a world we've had supporting actor go five for five at the Oscars and SAG plenty of times, 2009 being the example off the top of my head. It could happen. 
I think Hedges misses ultimately as well. So I wrote an article about uh, people that do not make Critics' Choice, Golden Globe, nor SAG, but yet surprise with an out-of-left-field Oscar nomination anyway. And Jonah Hill did it a couple years ago for The Wolf of Wall Street. And I think this year, another Martin Scorsese performer is going to get their way into the conversation. And I feel it's going to be Issy Ogata for Silence. Because everybody that has seen the movie that I've personally talked to and also have read in the reviews signals him out and says that if anybody is getting in for that movie, it is him. I mean, it's it's a late breaker. Oscar loves villain roles. He, we heard Eric say that he's funny as well as evil. I mean, that's that's a perfect mix with the Oscar supporting category. I think at this point, because if Costner was going to make it, he would have gotten in with SAG. That's the type of performance that would have. Uh, if Nocturnal Animals was going to make it, I think it would have shown up somewhere more. I think this does come down to Agata. I think you're exactly right. Let me just say for the record that Nocturnal Animals got a stunt ensemble nomination, which might be the oddest, weirdest nomination in any category for any movie I've seen all year. I think we're supposed to think that the high wife scuffle was stunt work, you know, the cars and then ensuing fight on the roadway would be my guess. Regardless of which, it's just fucking it's bizarre. It's a weird nomination, particularly over... Well, a lot of things this year. <laughs> All right, let's move over to the heated, competitive, absolutely insane best actress category. Amy Adams for Arrival. Emily Blunt for The Girl on the Train. <laughs> My jaw dropped when that was announced. And yet I was not surprised. She is quite good in the She's movie. And we even said that in our review. I personally nominated She's her. the best part of that movie. That's because of Aftra. It's SAG Aftra. So it's not just actors voting here. It's everybody from news broadcasters to radio personalities to anybody who's involved in that sort of media world. Mm-hmm. So it could be like your local weatherman voting. Right. And they're not going to go for Isabelle Huppert and Elle necessarily. Girl on the Train was a wide release with Emily Blunt, who's a fairly big star now. And the screeners got out early for enough people to see it. Right. From Universal, an October release... I'm, uh, I don't know that it's necessarily deserving. I wasn't so big on her in the movie, but I'm not so surprised that it happened. Yeah, it, it makes yeah. sense in hindsight. It's just, she was not even in the list of 10 people I thought most likely to get a SAG nomination. Oh, I think I had her at number 10, actually. But yeah, you're, you're right, Will. I mean, she hasn't popped up anywhere else the entire season. You know, when you go to her IMDb awards page, it'll literally say, uh, <laughs> the girl on the train, best actress, SAG, but nothing else for the rest of the year, essentially. Oh, I which think is it might pop so up weird. Razzies too, one or one or two places. <laughs> oh, oh, see, I think no. it. No, I think it's too Hollywood for that. I, I think there's enough people that find it to be like I'm one of the few that finds it to be like a a smutty, fun little like 1970s throwback to like Valley of the Dolls. Um but but no, a lot of critics were found it hilarious when they saw that Universal was sending out screeners with like a full campaign list. I think mine 
my screener on the back pretty much has them nominated for your consideration for every category ever all of the categories i think <laughs> like even some of them even some of them that probably don't exist like visual effects the train i mean it's it's not you know on there um but at the same time i i don't think anybody talked about it because it is such a crappy movie <laughs> rounding out the list of nominees here natalie portman for jackie emma stone for la la land and the queen herself Meryl Streep for Florence Foster Jenkins. Ugh. Of course. So, I, now knowing what we know, in terms of Meryl Streep making it at SAG, making it in a Golden Globe, didn't make it in a Critics' Choice, but she did win the Best Actress in a Comedy. I am now going to concede that Meryl Streep makes it in, because... Smart move. Yes, because quite honestly, and I feel like I tend to do this now with Meryl Streep performances that I do take her for granted and I don't end up predicting her in the end. Like August Osage County was the um, most recent example of a Meryl Streep performance that I didn't think should have gotten in. I didn't think it was going to get in. And yet it got in because she is Meryl Streep. And Florence Foster Jenkins is actually a really good performance from Meryl. So why am I underestimating it? Well, uh, I've snapped out of that mindset and now I'm no longer underestimating it anymore. I have also moved her into my predictions. She's She will get the required number of high ballot placements she needs because she's Meryl Streep. Yep. So, Mike, you yeah, were... Yeah, they want that 20... It'll be twenty. I think. I think. Yeah, yes, this will be twenty. Be twenty. It's insane. And her Golden Globe nomination that she just received is her number thirty. Oh my wow. god! That's amazing. I mean, look, you all know that Meryl Streep is my favorite person, my favorite actor or actress ever. Do we all agree that it was not very surprising, nor does it particularly harm her chances that Huppert didn't make it? That's not a SAG movie necessarily. You're right. Like, I agree with Michael. Um, I would replace Emily Blunt with Isabelle Huppert for L, and I think we may have our Oscar five. Yeah. My one little caveat is that the film is divisive. It is controversial, and as we'll get to later, it didn't make the foreign language uh, shortlist. So I'm not exactly sure any longer how much steam that film has and thus how much steam she has left as we now are in uh phase two of the season at this at this point or as we head into phase two at this point if she keeps sweeping the critics if she remains the critic consensus favorite it is difficult for me to imagine that she doesn't keep enough steam to get in there well in regards to that Natalie Portman is catching up. Isabel Huppert has won seven critics awards so far, and Natalie Portman has won five. So I think that that's starting to shift, in my opinion. Um, I think Annette Benning is still strong. I, I do. SAG hurts. It hurts a lot. And now she's no longer a sure thing anymore. But I think that it's between Benning or Huppert uh, to get in over Blunt here. You still think Adams gets the Oscar nomination? A hundred percent. Oh, I don't. Not at all. Do so. You think she's the one that's going to make Critics' Choice, Golden Globe, SAG, and Miss? Yes, I have her as number six. But my five for actors right now is Stone, Portman, 
Streep, Benning, Hooper. Can we all agree that Ruth Nega is not getting in anymore? Yeah, I think she's done after this week. Sadly, I think it's yes. a sad fact, but yeah. Yeah, I would say she's not getting in, and I would say Jessica Chastain is not getting in either. Oh, I had no no illusions that that was going to happen. <laughs> so we're literally down to you know our what is it seven six ladies that are left essentially here. Uh, Will, who do you have getting in? Uh, I believe it is the same as yours. Let me check. I have. Emma Stone, Portman, Hooper, Adams, and Streep at the moment. I could easily be persuaded to drop Adams. And if Hooper starts underperforming for the rest of the season, if Jack, if Portman becomes the undeniable critics' consensus, I could see Portman, or I could see Hooper ultimately missing out. It's just, didn't Rampling even miss BAFTA last year? Um, yeah, she only made critics' choice. Yeah, and then... Uh, Cote Yard made nothing for two days, one night, I think. And then Bardem was relatively a relative underperformer. So there, there is a history of this. None of those films were as controversial as Elle. I get it. I'm still thinking she does it. Let's also keep in mind that she does have Critics' Choice and Golden Globe. So, I mean, yeah, she has Yeah, that's more a... than any of these guys had. Exactly. And she also has things to come. Yes, which also helps her out a lot when people see that she gives two fantastic performances in the same year. Absolutely. It never hurts to have something like that, which is a great segue into Best Actor in talking about our boy, Andrew Garfield, for Hacksaw Ridge, a performance which uh, uh, I guess we were all kind of a little iffy on, but it looks like it is finally going to actually happen. It'll be his first nomination. Yeah. Uh, it should be his second, personally, but yes. In any event, though, best actor was Casey Affleck for Manchester by the Sea, Andrew Garfield for Hacksaw Ridge, Ryan Gosling for La La Land, Viggo Mortensen for Captain Fantastic, yes. and Denzel Washington for Fences. You know, on Hacksaw, I think I- I've been t- so we all. I guess Mike always talks to people at his theater who he say are not Academy members, but they are pretty much the same type of person that is an Academy member. I was talking to one of those people who was trying to say that it was the the after credits footage where we saw the elderly version of Garfield's character talking that convinced him that Garfield's performance was good because of the speech patterns that character had, um, which makes me wonder if people are seeing that and kind of getting over the wonky accent because they figure that's not that far from what the character actually sounded like. Mm-hmm. So that might explain it. Also, he did just have a great year, and people obviously like that film. And he's apparently a really nice guy. When he goes around on the campaign trail, people really like to be around him. Well, he seems like a sweetheart. It is a good performance, in my opinion. You know, I, I had my issues with it, with the accent, but it's a solid performance. He uh, He's in my, top t- my personal top ten right now. So... Do we think that this is the Oscar five? Because in my opinion, it is. I don't. I can um, see that. Something doesn't feel right about those five getting in. I'll share with you what I think is the shakiest of the ball, and I do personally think it's Ryan Gosling in La La Land. I'm telling I don't you. Think so. I haven't seen the film, so it's hard for me to say. But I can't believe that there are so many coattail nominations that have happened over the years for beloved films and years with weak categories. 
If anyone misses, I think it'll be our boy Vigo. Yeah, I think uh, Vigo misses for Tom Hanks. And I know he did miss Golden Globes and SAG. But Sully is definitely more of an Academy type of movie. The Hollywood Foreign Press, which is very European, is not necessarily going to go for that. And I think leaving Tom Hanks off of there is partially due to what the film is and them having other alternatives like Joel Edgerton to go to. And then with SAG, uh, SAG may have just been a case of them really loving Vigo and the ensemble in that movie. Yeah, absolutely. I don't, I don't doubt that whatsoever. But I'm going to just come right back to Ryan Gosling again and ask you this. If it were between Tom Hanks in Sully and Ryan Gosling in La La Land, who do you think gives the better performance? Personally? Just, no, objectively, performance. If I were an Academy member, I would rank Tom Hanks over Ryan Gosling. And now, now uh, the flip side of that, who do you like more? Who do I like as a performer? Uh, yeah, as a performer, who whose performance do you like more? Uh, so subjectively now. Hanks. So that's that's my thinking here. That's why I think Hanks gets in over Gosling, personally. Personally. I know you guys think Vigo is weak here because he really wasn't in so much of the conversation early on. And now all of a sudden after getting Golden Globe and SAG, he's now part of the conversation again. But, I mean, after seeing all of these performances, I think Vigo Mortensen makes more sense. And I just, I say this based upon trends of... um previous Best Actor nominations in the past, uh, matching the role to the star. It's the perfect role for him as a person. And I think that that film, a lot of people genuinely, I think, like that movie. And they like him. And he is quite good. A little understated, yes. But I think that, you know, he's quite good. And let's never underestimate the power that is male frontal nudity and how people (laughs) will be like, oh, it's so daring. So daring that they do something like that. You know, it's what <laughs> it was. It was part of the conversation for him in Easton Promises, and it will be part of the conversation here somewhere. God so. bless Vigo Mortensen. That's all I got. Does Vigo enjoy doing full frontal nudity. And if he does, if he does, there's nothing wrong with that, and he should do it more because he's the only one bold enough to do that. <laughs> all I'm saying, equal opportunity nudity needs to happen. That's all I'm saying. And if he's the only one willing to do it, then God bless him. <laughs> well, I mean, Ryan Gosling learned how to play jazz piano, so. That's not the same. That's not at all, like, cool enough, in my opinion. <laughs> all I'm saying is that I think that Gosling can afford to miss, and it still does not hurt La La Land in any way, shape, or form. And I also just, when I think about his previous nomination for Half Nelson, and I also think about all the other great performances that he's given over his career that maybe should have gotten in. I just don't rank La La Land in that upper tier of great Ryan Gosling performances. Now, could it be the makeup nod where it's like, hey, you've been doing consistently great work for years. And hey, we just want to remind you again that we do like you. Yeah. And it would be a coattail nomination. I don't think yet he is totally deserving to be in there. Hmm. That's funny, because I think it's his best performance, personally. Mm, I have to strongly disagree with that. Very strongly. But, that's fine. Best Ensemble Cast. Captain Fantastic, Fences, Hidden Figures, Manchester by the Sea, Moonlight. 
now, before anybody else says it, let's just get this out of the way. No film since Braveheart, the first year that SAG was ever introduced, has gone on to win Best Picture without a SAG Ensemble nomination. And the glaring omission here is La La Land. Is this a year where that trend, that stat, finally breaks? Yeah. I would assume yes. Just as I think had Gravity won, it would have broken that stat as well. The bottom line, I haven't seen the film, but everyone I've talked to who's seen it has basically said this is even more than something like The Artist was, a two-man show. And that, at the end of the day, you have a little bit by John Legend, and you have five minutes by J.K. Simmons, and there's pretty much no one else but extras other than, other than, Emma, than uh, Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone in the cast. Is that true? Because if that is the case, then I don't think it hurts this film at all. It is the case. It is their movie. Yeah. The, the other supporting players are not a factor in this whatsoever. I mean, sometimes they do weird things like the Beast of No Nation cast last year, but I think in this case, this was just, they wanted to vote for the truly best ensembles, and at the end of the day, this is, even by the standards of other Best Picture frontrunners that have gotten in here, this was not an ensemble film, and the Captain Fantastic got more passion votes. And Captain Fantastic does have a really great ensemble. I mean, those Amazing kid actors ensemble. are really good. So I think people like Ann Dowd and uh, Frank Langella are really great in that movie. Agreed. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. It's a fantastic cast all around. And uh, the, the family members they meet, the sister-in-law and stuff, I mean, it's... Yeah. And you know what? It takes a great performance to make me really hate a character the way that I did uh, the lead character played by Vigo. So I think that's actually a testament to his performance here. Did you, did you find him sympathetic at least too, though? Yeah. Uh, I, I really hated him and one of those children taken away from him at the end, actually. As mm. mean as that sounds, I just had no sympathy for him. And you know what's interesting about that, Michael, is that there are other people that do feel the same way. They don't agree with the parenting style, which he does implement in the film. And I get it that the film is trying to either get you to side with him or at least wants you to question it. But in I, I know that this also ties back to best actor and it also hurts his chances in a way because like before like we were saying, judging it based upon the two factors, performance and likability. Likability, he's very shaky on. I would go so far to say though that performance, I think overrides that here in this particular yeah, it's a instance. very good performance. Like I said, that's what made me uh, hate the character. I bought it thanks to him. Yeah, yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, over the rest of the season if he can maintain this level of momentum. Um, I'm still predicting that he's in, especially after uh, the, the strength that he has shown over these last couple of weeks. Because now at this point, there's really not much else left to confirm our suspicions. I mean, there's BAFTA, but BAFTA's got their own kind of, you know, ex uh, like weird little things sometimes that happen like I, I won't be surprised if Hugh Grant shows up best actor for example for Florence Foster Jenkins something like that anyway uh, a couple of different things now as far as the rest of the week is concerned a couple of Oscar categories got a little bit more narrow hell I would venture to say a lot more narrow let's start with best foreign language film uh, and a surprising twist L 
Neruda, and Julieta all did not go on to make the Academy shortlist for the 2016 Oscar for Best Foreign Language Film. The films that did make it are Tana, It's Only the End of the World, Land of Mine, Tony Erdman, The Salesman, The King's Choice, Paradise, A Man Called Ove. Is it Ove or Ove? I think it's Ove. Okay. And My Life as a Zucchini. So, this is definitely a big development in this race. I would argue to say that the foreign language film race has gotten a little bit more difficult to predict at this point. But I think that it's pretty clear that this is going to be now a cakewalk for Tony Erdman. Pretty much. They do do have some strange uh, winners here and there. I remember 2009, The Secret in Their Eyes won over the White Ribbon. Yes, and also A Prophet, too. But... Ever since they've expanded voting in this category to the entire membership, you know, I I think we're going to see more traditional winners. I think the days of out-of-nowhere winners are pretty much gone in this category. Yeah, it is Tony Classic, so that's a very good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think Tony Erdman is most likely our winner here. But as for nominations, stuff like My Life is a Zucchini, that's very well-liked, as we saw with the Golden Globe nominations, too, this week. And credit to Will for predicting it really early yeah, on. in July. That was a great call, Will. Are you guys predicting Paradise to get a nomination? Because never underestimate Holocaust films in this category. Oh, I didn't realize that was a Holocaust film. It is a black-and-white Russian Holocaust film. All I saw was the director went on a rant yesterday. Uh, he's from Russia, I believe, right? Yes. He said he wants to ban people from eating popcorn during the movie. Well, that's odd. <laughs> that's very weird. So, uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, now that I know it's a Holocaust movie, I may have to reconsider. I did not have it in my initial five. I might have to take uh, The Salesman out. The sa- oh, So, yeah, tell me the rest of your five, I guess. Uh, Tony Erdman, Land of Mine, The Salesman, A Man Called Ove, and My Life as a Zucchini. Those are my five as well. I would maybe take... The uh, I would maybe take the salesman out potentially and include paradise. I have yeah. paradise getting in just because that that is an important subject and it's a subject that the academy and particularly the foreign language branch cannot resist. That is a very good point. And a man called Ove, I think, is in because that's been playing very well at art house theaters. I didn't get a chance to see it when it was at mine, but it was here for about a month and a half. Mm. People really seem to go towards it, and it's based on a book. That I know that was very popular in uh, book clubs across the country. Is there any world where that Xavier Dolan film that was so poorly reviewed somehow gets a surprise nomination here too based on name recognition? No. I don't think so. I think that was added at the very end. Uh, Ann Thompson was talking about this on her podcast this week. And she said that the way that the foreign language branch works is sort of like the electoral college in the presidential election where... There are different committees who have their say in making the shortlist. And then when that's all said and done, the head of the branch gets to add in titles that might be more populist or more well-known. So, like, say Tony Erdman didn't make it at first, he would maybe add that in because it's such a factor at this point. Yeah, yeah, the exec committee saves. And the thinking is maybe he added the Dolan film because he's a, a popular name and it has Marion Cotillard in it. Which is so weird to me because you would think that Neruda, Julieta, L would be one of those films, but that's very, very strange indeed. And I mean, everybody seems to be in agreement, and it's now taken the lead in best foreign language film uh, 
wins amongst critics. The Handmaiden is, seems to be the one that's actually the most critically lauded right now and didn't even get submitted. So go figure. Yeah, I hope Korea, South Korea feels stupid right now because I haven't seen the film. Perhaps they were right and it would have been too divisive. But it does seem like with the critical steamrolling it's been doing as well as showing up and it's won more production design categories so far than any other film. Yeah, I think it could show up there. Yeah, as do I. I think it could be like the Grandmaster, which doesn't get submitted, yet shows up in below-the-line categories. Speaking of below-the-line, are we going to talk about the visual effects shortlist? We are. That's actually our next little category here. We now have 10 films which have been narrowed down for best visual effects. Those films are Arrival, The BFG, Captain America Civil War, Deepwater Horizon, Doctor Strange, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, The Jungle Book, Passengers, Rogue One A Star Wars Story, and in a surprising twist, Kubo and the Two Strings. I think that says a lot right there. In terms of what? In terms of possible nominations and especially for for me, at least animated, just because I think they said it's been either it's never happened or I don't know what the specs are in terms of a movie being a stop motion and getting into I guess at this at this level for visual effects. I think a lot of people are calling it kind of the ex machina win where it comes out of nowhere and nobody expects it. So at least that's what I'm predicting currently. I think it says a lot of love for Kubo, but so I, I, I get to brag on this. Figuring, finding every visual effects shortlist since the visual effects department became its own branch in 1993, 1992, excuse me, has been a passion of mine. And I now have every single, I am the only person on the internet who has every single shortlist. It has happened before. We have had eight animated films make the shortlist. I believe four make it to the second round of the shortlist. Uh, and of course, one of them, Nightmare Before Christmas, a stop motion, did make it to a nomination. It could happen, in the fa- but we haven't seen an animated film make it to the second round in years. So I think I'm not going to predict it in my top five, but Kristen, I think you're right. This reminded me a lot of when Ex Machina kind of surprised me even by making it this far last year because it was such a small film. I don't think it could ever win the category, but I think it uh, it could easily sneak in as a surprise fifth nominee. There is always a fifth film that people don't predict correctly in this category. Very hard to go five for five. So, But I think more importantly, it shows it is a strong contender overall and um, is probably our number two in best animated film right now. I... I don't know. Uh, I, I want to say The Jungle Book still wins this. Does everyone agree with oh, me? wins? Yeah, absolutely. Without a doubt. I'm waffling. I don't know. I, I'd like to the Kubo narrative to work, but I had Jungle Book winning before, so it wouldn't surprise me to go back to that. No, no. I, I Chris, I thought you just meant for the nomination. Oh, well, either way. Another, there you go. <laughs> and here's another interesting thing here as well. The only best picture contender amongst these 10 films is Arrival. Sorry, Mike. Sully missed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that surprised me a little bit that it made it to the first shortlist. 
and here got left out. Michael, are, you're not predicting a rival for best picture anymore, if I recall, correct? Yeah, I don't have that in my lineup. I do have it in a few more below-the-line categories than I did a few weeks ago. I've added it to something like production design. I have it in screenplay, maybe one of the sounds. So I'm starting to open up there, and it could certainly get in here for visual effects, but I think at the end of the day, it ends up at a number six. I could be wrong about that, though. I really, truly do think it makes it just simply because it's the most prestige title amongst a bunch here. As Like I said, as far as potential best picture uh, chances go. In my own lineup, I still have Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, which I can see missing on nomination morning for something like Arrival. So I wouldn't totally discount it. So I guess what we have to think about on Arrival, though, is obviously the nominations... The voters vote often without even seeing the entire film, I believe, because the whole it's they just go to the bake-off ceremony. They watch was it fifteen-minute reels of all the films where the studios get to cut together the very highlights of all their visual effects work and how they did it. So they're going to leave out stuff that doesn't look good. So let's say a bunch of the voters in this branch didn't even see Fantastic Beasts, but they see a real WB cuts together of just the best of the best of the visual effects work that leaves out all the wonky stuff. I mean, that's how you get in here. That's why there's some people who, uh, there were some people when the first list came out who thought Warcraft could have gotten in. Mercifully, it didn't make it this far. But I mean, what I do worry about with Arrival, despite its prestige status, is if it's a bunch of VFX guys who haven't even seen all uh, 10 films, Arrival doesn't have that much to put on its reel. It's got the ship, and it's got the aliens, but there's not a lot of variety to play with in there, even compared to something like Ex Machina last year. So I still think Arrival gets in, but it's, it's worth considering that things with a lot of CGI to choose from in this reel ultimately probably have a better shot than something with more subtle work like Arrival. I think that Arrival is a film that just gets checked off, you know, just based on love of the film, potentially. But I totally see what you're saying here. Moving on to the best original song category. Uh, we now have 91. I'm not even going to bother listing them all, but 91 songs that are still eligible for the Oscar for best original song. And while I can't necessarily tell right away uh, what glaring omissions there were because the list is just so, so long here, um, I will say this. I am definitely pretty shocked that La La Land has Audition, City of Stars, and Start of Fire as their only three potential chances here. Because quite honestly, I really thought for a long time that La La Land was going to get one of the big musical numbers or something else in here as opposed to start a fire yeah that that song's kind of the weakest one of the group yeah that's designed to be in the film as a song that's intentionally not good so my favorite song for the movie didn't even make it on the list same here yeah mine is uh someone in the crowd i oh i totally agree with you on that that. one's good i like i like the opening another day of sun's my favorite i've been singing that my second favorite didn't make the list either which is a lovely night i am having trouble remembering that yeah i didn't care for that one a uh, couple things that uh, did catch my eye, though. Sing Street does have Drive It Like You Stole It Thank God. in here. So happy about that. I think that gets a nom. I really want it to. I mean, Harvey got it and campaigned it into a picture nomination at the Globes. 
You know, if if he's working his magic behind the scenes, it could happen. It it needs to. It really deserves a mention this year. It's a great song from a movie I enjoyed but wasn't crazy about. That's the highlight from the whole movie for me. It's a great film. Let's talk about a couple of other really quick ones in here as well. Um, obviously, Moana's in here. That's uh, going to be a factor, as we know for sure. Uh, Never Give Up from Lion uh, could possibly show up. I, I don't think so anymore, simply because I thought that its chance to start building steam was at the Golden Globes. Guys, we are now living in a universe where I'm so humble from Popstar Never Stop Never Stopping yes. is still in contention. Although I'm so bummed because I was, I was just talking to somebody about that, that they campaigned the wrong song because... Incredible Thoughts is the better song in that movie, but I'm just happy to see Popstar at all in anything that's associated with Oscar. <laughs> that would be so amazing if it gets that nomination. I, I would be ecstatic. W- one nomination, though, that would piss me off completely would be if Heavens from uh, Suicide Squad got in. I hate in. that oh, Christ, song. Yeah, it's a very popular song, and... You know, we've seen certain films that we never thought we would get to call Oscar nominees. I would uh, rather listen know. to Can't Stop the Feeling on a loop forever than ever hear does, uh, again. Does Manta Ray, or what is his name? Uh, J. Ralph. J. Ralph. Does he have yes, anything Yes, I was looking year? for him first when I first saw the short list. He has a song on there. We have learned never to overlook J. Ralph if he has he a has song. He has the, <laughs> the empty chair from Jim, the James Foley story. Eh, it could happen, yeah, I guess, right? And then Dancing in the Shadows from Poe, Mike and I have both been saying, is probably getting in. Mm. Yes, uh, from Burt Bacharach. The man is a legend, and it's got a great narrative. Absolutely. Three more here. Tell me which one of these three, if you think any, uh, have a chance. Uh, ones that caught my eye. Montage from Swiss Army Man. I wish, but no. Letter to the Free from 13th. Maybe. And Try Everything from Zootopia. Nope. Mm, I hope not. The one I've been looking at, just simply because of how long the title is on uh, the list of, edu- of eligible songs, is 60 Charisma Scented Blackbirds from How to Let Go of the World and Love All the Things Climate. It will stand out in the ballot. Right. <laughs> so what I did was I went to YouTube to listen to the song, see if it was anything worth considering. It's actually not a bad song. And the fact mm. that it's such a long title on the ballot may draw people's eyes to it. Alrighty, well, moving on to original score, which is now, in my opinion, one of the most boring categories that we have left. Yes. Um, and the reason for this is because Manchester by the Sea, Silence, and Arrival were the three big films that were disqualified. And I think we have an obvious winner now. And yes. that's and that's why it's so boring, because Arrival was the main competition, I felt like. So it's pretty clear at this point that Justin Hurwitz is going to win the Oscar for La La Land. Which is fantastic. It's an amazing score. I don't I don't argue with it. I do indeed love the score and I don't mind it. I just hate how boring the category now is. Yeah, it's gonna be opened up to just a lot of people who are favorites within the branch, like you have John Williams, Alexandra Desplat. I do think Moonlight gets in there. For yeah, the yes. Hotel. Yes. I think he has a very open slot there. Do we think that Mika Levy gets in for Jackie? I don't. And I don't think that's because of the quality of the score. It's a very good score, I think. But she's very young and very outside of that uh, insiders group. You do tend to have, uh, you know, the music branch has gotten a little less insular in recent years, though, because we had Mr. Turner get in just out of nowhere 
with a very unorthodox score. And, you know, if, if the non-traditional nature of Jackie is a factor and you're not predicting it, if Mr. Turner could do it, I feel like... It has a chance. I think Jackie and the Jungle Book are right outside of the five. What about something uh, that we're just, you know, we're just not expecting here? For example, um, Alexandra Desplat for The Light Between Oceans. Well, I have him in if for he gets in, it's Foster Florence. Jenkins. Yeah. What about, um, what about Nocturnal Animals? Uh, I'd love it, but I don't think it's going to happen. I mean, the last 10 minutes of that movie are nothing but score. Same thing with the opening credits. So I really like this score. Reminded me a lot of old Bernard Herrmann stuff from Hitchcock movies. Yes. That's, I think, the point. Yeah, I I don't think it gets in. Fair. I don't think it gets in really any text except for maybe cinematography. I was going to just say, do we all think the Nocturnal Animals is being completely shut out? Because I still don't believe it. I think it's shut out. I think it's probably shut out. I, I have in, a small glimmer of hope. <laughs> it's a small glimmer, though. Uh, I do believe that Jungle Book has gotten a boost now. I agree with you on that. Uh, another contender that's potential here. I mean, Will, we talked about this a lot off air. Um, Rupert Gregson Williams for Hacksaw Ridge. If they really love this movie, this is a very traditional kind of score. Yeah. No, it's 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 a movie movie score. It could get in. Also, um, much as I don't want it to, there are quite a few people predicting the BFG gets in. Just because it's John it Williams. Yeah, it's John Williams. It's it's a Spielberg movie and it's a group who loves to renominate, so Yeah. Alright. Well, that was uh pretty much a fun little twist of developments there because like i said a couple films are no longer in contention and there are some movements within the race but there was one other movement this week that did shake things up and that was in the screenplay categories so we recently found out that both moonlight and loving will be campaigned in the best adapted screenplay category at the oscars as opposed to best original screenplay which is one Really, really bad for all best adapted screenplay contenders because I think we can all agree that Barry Jenkins is going to win an Oscar for Moonlight potentially at this point. Um, does anyone else disagree with me on this? No, absolutely. His to lose. Kristen? I, I'm agreeing with everybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that and that also clears the way for Kenneth Lonergan to win for Manchester by the Sea, although Damien Chazelle uh, has been picking up a little bit of steam for La La Land in that category. Having seen the movie now, and I know I predicted him to win a couple of weeks ago on the show, I don't think he takes it anymore. I think it's uh, Kenneth Lonergan's to win. It's almost like last year when you had The Revenant Spotlight and uh, The Big Short as the three frontrunners. This is a way of giving love to all of them. You have Moonlight in one category, Manchester in the other. You could almost say that... uh, La La Land's alternative screenplay is a song win. Yeah. In addition to Best Picture. Now, what are we all thinking for original screenplay nominees? We all have Manchester, La La Land, and Hell or High Water, correct? We do. Yep. Yes. But it, it all changes after that. We all have, like, something different. For, as for the last two, yeah. Yeah, which I, I personally love. I have The Lobster. Do, do we all have The Lobster as well? I do. I have the lobster. I do. And I know Mike and I both have Captain Fantastic for the last slot, correct? Yes. 
Yeah, I'm going to say it's picking up steam, and it seems like the kind of thing that the screenwriting branch with their traditionally unorthodox choices would go for. I still have La... Uh, not La Land. I still have Jackie. Really? Yeah, Noah Oppenheim, I think, is uh, a popular name. Uh, I think people are going to recognize um, the quality of... I, I do think there is a quality of writing in this film. I, don't, I, I know it doesn't get talked about as much, but... For now, I am predicting it. Just for now. I'm, I reserve the right to change my mind still. <laughs> what about you, Kristen? I don't have my predictions in front of me. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, you have Captain Fantastic. That's I right. do. Okay, yeah. So um, that's... But honestly, I just kind of went with, with gut instinct there. And that could be... I think that might have just been a totally emotional response. So I would not be surprised if I'm completely wrong on that. And then moving over to adapted screenplay, things are now, like I said, definitely interesting at this point. Um, we've got oh, man, this is this is crazy. Will you? You've got uh, Moonlight winning. Uh, Kristen, you still have August Wilson winning for Fences. Yeah, because I still think that they the play being adapted straightforwardly. The play is still. An amazing piece of Americana, so I I still have it winning. Now, uh, Michael, yes, either something's either something's wrong on my end, or uh, I, I'm or I'm not I'm just not sure because I see that you don't have Moonlight in your predictions here. I think that's something wrong on my end, actually. Yeah, I have it winning in adapted screenplay. Yeah, okay. My five, I have a Moonlight Fences. Lion, Hacksaw Ridge, and Arrival. Wait, you have Hacksaw Ridge getting in? I do, because it's from uh, Robert Shekinen. I'm blanking on how to pronounce his last name. He's a well-known playwright who also wrote All the Way on Broadway with uh, Brian Cranston. He's a respected writer, and I think if they go for the film in other areas, it might be able to get in here. Well, God bless you for predicting it, because I'm not going to do that. A few others have him, too. I know uh, Tapley has him. I believe Feinberg has him in there. No, I mean, you're not alone in predicting it for screenplay. It's just... I know I always tell people to predict things based on what they think realistically can get in and not on what they want to get in, but I just have a hard time seeing that screenplay get nominated, I guess largely because I know Matt and I both talked about in the podcast the screenplay was the weak point of the film was absolutely the weakest point of the film. I mean, it, it could happen. People predicted, as you said, Feinberg and Tapley. But particularly as competitive as this category has just gotten, I have trouble seeing the screenplay get in. Well, I'm, I'm actually very, very surprised because Michael is the only one that currently has the film getting in for picture, actor, screenplay, and yes, director from Mel Gibson. Honestly, I'm starting to think Gibson could get in there too. I'm waiting for DGA. And I'm not thrilled about that, but looking at how it's been going, I, I have to look at the stats and not my own personal opinions. I'm starting to see a world where David McKenzie could get in as well. I mean, if the film had gotten in for SAG Ensemble, I, for Hell or High Water, I would feel even more confident in this. Yeah. But it's been, he's been popping up at quite a few critics groups so far. It's a pretty well-directed film, and in a lot of ways, it does feel like the token indie nom. I mean, you also have that with Jenkins and Moonlight, but it does feel like the kind of nomination that could come 
for a Beast of the Southern Wild or Room type nomination. So I think we should not discount him for director nomination as well. I still have Denny Villeneuve, but I'm I'm feeling very shaky on it. So. All right. With that said, for our final segment here, uh, we are now going to discuss and review Christopher Nolan's latest film trailer, and that is for his World War II epic, Dunkirk. The enemy tanks have stopped. Why? Why waste precious tanks when they can pick us off from the air like fish in a barrel? There are 400,000 men on this beach. Dunkirk. I'm not going back. There's no hiding from this sun. We have a job to do. If we go there, we'll die. see it from here what home okay so christopher nolan somebody that got legions and legions of fans out there uh i'm, I'm one of them i like his work uh this looks like it's definitely a departure for him in terms of you know, he's not going necessarily heavy with sci-fi genre inception interstellar it's not a summer blockbuster he looks like he's trying to pull, uh, I, I guess, um, you know, a Saving Private Ryan, a, a Hacksaw Ridge. Uh, you know, he's going full-scale dramatic war effort here. W- what do you guys think? So for starters, I'm a big Nolan fan. You know, I've eagerly anticipated every one of his movies. The Dark Knight Rises and Interstellar both let me down, but unlike some people, I still think they were good films overall, just disappointments. But Nolan films have universally had strong trailers, and I didn't feel like we got that here. Because either they give us a good idea of what the story is, or they create kind of those chills down your spine moments. I agree. And I feel like with this trailer, we didn't get either of those. We didn't get a good idea of who the characters are. We didn't get a good idea of what the story is, other than it is just a retelling of the the Battle of Dunkirk, or the Miracle of Dunkirk, if you will, and we all know how that ends, so you don't have the complex plot and mystery to fall back on, you don't have the really chill-worthy moments, and you don't get a good look at any of the characters. I, I, I so, 
I'm, I agree with you. I'm a little underwhelmed by the trailer itself. I think I'm just more excited at the prospect and the idea of a large scale, as only Christopher Nolan could do it in terms of a Hollywood blockbuster budget, World War II drama, and to see like what he comes up with in terms of that. Like they say, there's 400,000 men on this beach. So you know the scale is going to be there. And then they're all just being picked off from the air like fish in a barrel. That's going to create for some really tense, chaotic um slaughterhouse massacre um essentially that could be extremely harrowing but you're right in terms of the story and what's the ultimate underlying factor here like what is the personal story of the people that are involved here it can't just be a grand retelling of the event itself because that's something that people just can't emotionally connect to necessarily. They need people and characters to care about. And I didn't really get that sense from this either. Oh, I mean, for me, I I saw it before Rogue One, so I probably saw it in the best possible way that wasn't... um, And and we ended up seeing it in the IMAX-esque, the XD, the big, the super big um, theater, which was still odd because we don't have masking anymore, so it still looked like it was truncated, but um, either way, I mean, I flat out hated Interstellar, and The Dark Knight Rises is a terrible movie, but I like Christopher Nolan. I mean, he, he's he got more successes than failures for me, but at the same time, I just watching this, yeah, it's, it's Saving Private Ryan. I had to kind of go back to, like, my eighth grade history and be like, oh, okay, well, I know the basics, and this just kind of seems like it's very again perfunctory um i mean he's got a great cast um i don't know how i feel about harry styles actor which gives me pause and he doesn't have any lines he just kind of shows up and reacts but i mean overall i guess we won't know until it actually comes out i i think that the thing where that we're used to is knowing kind of what christopher nolan is anticipating in certain regards um even though we don't know so like even with the prestige or um inception you knew it was going to be some sort of twisty mind bender this i think it loses a lot because we know what's going to happen because it's historical wait a minute i'm sorry did we lose michael no i'm here i'm just listening to what you're saying oh oh i'm surprised you hadn't chimed in yet that's why i was i mean i guess part of that is because i really didn't have uh much to say about the trailer i'm not a huge nolan fan I enjoyed The Dark Knight for what it was, and Insomnia is pretty good. Uh, Batman Begins has elements I like, but uh, yeah, I'm inclined to agree that Interstellar and The Dark Knight Rises are not movies I particularly enjoyed. But this does look like a departure in some ways, which interests me that he's branching out. I love Mark Rylance, and it looks like he might have some impressive visuals. The cinematography here looked good. Oh, yeah. So I can't say I'm... I can't say I'm very excited, but I'm definitely intrigued. Yeah, I mean, anything that gives Killian Murphy a chance to uh, flex his acting muscles uh, in a film as well, it gets me excited because I think that he's truly an underrated actor. Yeah, is he the lead here? It looks like it, right? Yeah, he was featured prominently in that trailer. I don't think there's a singular main character. This feels like one of those old 50s, 60s, 70s um war ensemble films like the battle of midway or something where there's not a single main character but rather there's a number of roles who each kind of have smaller arcs 
See, that's what got, gets me worried, though, is that Nolan tends to be very scattershot with his films, focusing sometimes more on plot than on character. And I feel like that's exactly what's happening here, where um, by focusing too much on the plot and the actual historical events of what happened, we're going to lose track of which characters to latch onto emotionally. And it's going to just r- race back and forth. And unless if it's like a three hour running time where we get enough emotional investment with each one of these people, there's not going to be um, an emotional connection established between the audience and what is happening on screen. And thus it could be a slog. It could be cold. It could just simply be pretty to look at, you know, and that's really it. So, And I think that kind of ties into a problem I often have with war films, and I'm particularly worried about it in a Nolan war film, who is a great director, but his stories, and less so his characters, are the strong suit. A lot of war films, we get very little about the characters that makes them interesting, or honestly, beyond the fact they're serving their country, that makes them sympathetic. Look at Lone Survivor, for example. It's well-directed. But you can't tell me anything about those characters other than maybe one of them has a wife and that they're serving their country. You can't tell me anything else about them, which means you get spectacle, well-directed spectacle, but little more else to care about. And as a result, it feels kind of empty. It's the kind of thing that keeps it from greatness and the kind of thing that could be a problem here as well. Well, I think think the difference with Lone Survivor is the question of jingoism and how much... It's supposed to be propaganda for America. Um, whereas Dunkirk, I mean, you know, you go back to the war that was being fought, and I think that that has less less sticky subject matter. I mean, I, I, although there are elements of World War II, and, and again, even World War One that were questionable, I mean, at that point, we all kind of know, like, World War II Nazis bad. Um, and it it's, I think it's going to play very timely with the Trump presidency. Um, it, that's going to help it a lot. It's, it'll be interesting to see, though, yeah, if we talk about, you know, the political situation, I think of how, again, going back to jingoism and patriotism, how Michael Bay tried to um, erase some of America's worst elements of Pearl Harbor in Pearl Harbor and kind of show that, like, Japanese, bad. It was all them, all bad. We did totally nothing, okay? We were awesome. Um, so I, I think Nolan might be able to play, if he even brings anything up, some of the more grander theater that was at play in terms of World War II. Um, and I say this as, again, a, a person who finds World War II fascinating but has not studied it since, I think, about 10th grade. <laughs> and, I mean, speaking of jingoism, it will be interesting to see in a war film like this, where it isn't a happy ending in the strictest sense of the word. I mean, it is the miracle at Dunkirk. It's an interesting story, but it's not going to be a, you know, jingoistic, we eradicated fascism type film. It is certainly more complex than that, because it is more about surviving than it is about winning in this case. Well, the tagline says survival is victory. So, but yeah, I mean that will make for maybe a more morally ambiguous and le- more atypical war film. I just hope he can write some interesting characters to go with his undeniably strong spectacle. I was going to say over under odds on one of the characters having some sort of pregnant girl back home. I mean, I think yeah, that's my that's always yeah. my thing. Like, what are the odds of that happening? Probably high because it's a war movie. Are we all excited for Harry Styles? No. 
That's what I was saying. That's what I said. That was my big thing from the trailer. I'm like, Harry Styles actor. I don't know how I feel about that. We don't get any dialogue from him. It's just kind of him reacting. And fear is fear is fear. I mean, you really can't... Um, I, I don't think that that shows any type of range. I would like to see him say some lines and then maybe I can judge accurately. You know, I'm, I'm more excited to see uh, Tom Hardy don a mask again in a Christopher Nolan movie than anything. <laughs> I saw that well, and you I... You could hear him this time. I saw that and I had to wonder if like the trailer person or Nolan thought... Nobody will ever connect the dots between those two. Like, you know, like, I don't know if maybe somebody thought that would be like a fun little in-joke or if they thought the complete opposite. Like, nobody's going to think that that's similar to Dark Knight Rises at all. Imagine he's just like pulling the Bane voice as he's like, you know, shooting away at Nazis in the air. Oh, my God. I hope not. So but now I actually kind of want to see that. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering what would break first, the Luftwaffe or no? Okay, I'm not going to do that. Oh, God. Oh, my uh, God. That, that, yeah, that, that's the winner right there. All right, everybody. Well, definitely this has been a lot of fun this week. Uh, we really appreciate everybody for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. where you- And happy birthday, Steven Spielberg. Oh, my God. 70 years old today. Yes. And he's not quite Spielberg, but happy birthday to Ray Liotta as well. <laughs> he's still high in my book. All right. He's 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 the leading Goodfellas. Come on. But you're right. Steven Spielberg, 70 years old today. Um, what a legend. What a living legend. Even, even when he makes a film that I don't passionately respond to, like the BFG, for example, it's still always interesting. And that just says a testament to his skill as a filmmaker. Let's just say, hope he can make it through the next two weeks because 2016 ain't over yet, everybody. Just saying. Just saying. Stop it. <laughs> oh my has, God. Has everybody watched the TCM Remembers for this year? Not yet, but I just saw it uh, posted on Facebook. I I watched it at my my mother's workplace, and I was I was pretty good. Although it's essentially a who's who of like everybody just jump ship on 2016. Everybody was like, you know what, I'm out because the amount of actors that and people that died this year, I think they knew something we didn't because it's a lot. But but the final shot of the TCM remembers trailer. I, I had held it together, and there's a final shot with a final actor, and I just I lost it. I was, like, yeah. blubbering. My mom's saw, are you crying? I'm like, it's so sad. Why doesn't TCM do the in-memoriams at this point on the Oscars? Because they do a, a phenomenal job. They really should be tapped. <laughs> mm. All right. We'll have to send that into the suggestion box of the Academy. Yes. 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 Right on Cheryl Boone Isaac's desk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, thank you very much for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, as well as Player FM Radio. But before we get out of here, Will, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Mavericks Movies. Michael. Mike Movie on Twitter. And Kristen. I am on Twitter at journeys underscore film. And you can find me at nextbestpicture.com. Thank you, everybody, once again for listening. And while you're at it, feel free, if you enjoyed this podcast, to drop us a review or two on iTunes. We would surely greatly appreciate that. Thank you all once again, and we will see you all next time.
Hey Hey there. there! I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.